now. Well, welcome, Lauren. Uh, let's hear from you around change management. So you're a senior change manager in a not-for-profit. Can you tell us, uh, introduce yourself and tell us about uh, what change management is? Uh, well, uh, change management is the processes, tools and techniques to manage the people side of change. So uh, change management provides frameworks to prepare and support people so that we're helping them to adopt whatever the change is and get the desired outcome. Can you give us some examples of changes that might occur sort of naturally in an organisation cycle of activity? Yeah, so it's um, the changes that I work predominantly with at the moment are new technology, so um, IT changes, um, but also uh, new behaviours or new processes that need to need to be implemented within an organisation. That sounds interesting around behaviours. Is that one of the hardest areas of, of change to manage? Um, it can be, yes. Um, I mean, I guess technology and process change also they also incur sort of behaviour changes as well. So um, it's all intertwined. Um, and the key um, or one of the keys is to make sure that people understand why they need to change and, and how they need to change as well. So um, if they sort of understand why, what the point is and what's in it for them and how their, their jobs or their lives will be better um, because of the change, then that, that always helps. Oh, that's interesting. So can you talk to the principles of, of change management to help us understand more what it looks like in practice, maybe? Yeah, sure. Um, so one of the key things is to clearly define and communicate what you want to achieve in the change. Um, and throughout the process, it's also really important to have a, a sponsor who will advocate for the project and be active and visible and who is going to work towards removing any barriers and sort of um, working really closely with the project team. Um, it's also really important to determine how and who it's going to impact, the change is going to impact, um, and identify any stakeholders and determine how you're going to engage them and leverage their influence and sort of bring them along on the journey as well and build commitment to the change. Um, and in doing that, obviously, communication, effective communication is really important um, throughout the whole process so that people understand what their role is in the change and what's in it for them, what needs to change and why and how it's going to change as well what they need to do differently. Um, identifying and managing resistance to change as well mm. um, and providing the obvious, providing training and support so that people are actually able to make the change. And then once the change has been implemented, uh, reinforcing it and communicating success as well so that people are motivated to keep the change as part of their, their um, daily work. Wow, that sounds like um, a big wave of activity. Where does it normally fit into where does it where can it fit into work patterns is is this a once in an in a in a 10 year event for an organization is it built into an annual activity cycle where where does it fit um no so it's certainly not once in every 10 years it's just more like more constant really um mm. so the principles can be used anywhere um that you want to achieve a new objective so mm. if it's going to impact people so whenever like i said before if you want to if you want to implement a new behavior or technology or process then um, you need to go through this process obviously some changes are, are, are on a larger scale than others so um like minor changes you wouldn't need to you know, um, spend as much effort and time with, with everyone as you would with larger mm. changes, definitely. Um, but yeah, it, it is more of a constant 
than than okay. uh, infrequent. <laughs> Interesting. So, can you um, give us an example of uh, where you might have to have an across the organisation change? So everybody needs to be involved. Um, yeah. Well, culture changes um, mm. changes to sort of culture of the organisation is definitely one that would involve everybody. Um, at the organisation that I work at, we've recently implemented new software that was going to affect everybody as well. So, um, I mean, and even, yeah, new behaviours, new processes, anything can affect the whole organisation. It just depends on what the change is and what the purpose is. So um, who it's going and then therefore who it's going to affect. Do, yeah. Do you, um, find, how do you find people are with change? What's the, not? I mean, obviously there's different types of changes as you've talked about. But generally speaking, if you can generalise, how are people, how do people accommodate change in their work life? It's really difficult to answer because it really depends what the change is. So, mm. um, but it also depends on how it's been sold to them too and their mm. understanding of the purpose of the change and mm. what's in it for them. So how it's going to make their life better. If they are at a place where they believe that it's going to be a positive change for them then obviously it's a much easier sell um, but that's also part of the change management process is bringing them on that journey and, and helping them to be involved in the change as well um, so that they feel like um, the change isn't being done to them it's being you know they have an input um, in in what's happening and, and why and they're able to give their views and feedback and everything that really helps as well. Yeah, I can see that certainly that you've mentioned several times the idea of what's in it, what's in it for them. And even if people aren't calculating in that way, they do obviously need to have a sense that there's going to be a positive impact on their work as opposed to it just being more work um, or, yeah. yeah, or such a significant change that they don't necessarily, uh, that their job looks so different. Um, well, I thought about uh, bringing you to, to this podcast because uh, we are now in, a situation where momentous change is happening around us and um, we have no control or very little control over it. And I thought it was a really interesting frame to bring to the current situation with COVID-19 and, and where we all find ourselves in, in our homes and working from home and, and educating our children um, from home and, and a whole range of new, um, very quick, rapid changes in our life. Can you talk to that and how change management might support us in that managing that change when actually it isn't the government is, of course, asking us and the state government, the federal government is, of course, asking us to do certain things. But ultimately, we are still in control of whether we do go out, whether we, to some extent, how close we remain to people. Uh, can you talk to your ideas around how these principles could support us in this difficult time? Yeah, sure. There, there are plenty of ways that the change management principles can support us at the moment. And um, it's interesting that you mentioned the government because um, I found that um, communication in change management is obviously really key and having clarity of your objectives and your messaging and having like a compelling, simple narrative that people understand mm. so that they know who, why, what, when, how something's going mm. to change or needs to change. Um, and that's so important to having everyone on the same page because they're obviously not going to be able to get be able to get on board effectively with something new if they don't understand what it is that they're supposed to be doing. Um, and so in Australia, because we've got the multiple layers of government, it can make things really confusing for people um, and there are different rules at different levels. So um, I've just noticed that sort of in contrast, the um, New Zealand government have been have made really clear decisions um, early on and articulated what's happening when and why. 
And I think, feel like that's enabled people to make the changes because they know what they're supposed to do and it's really clear, whereas it, hasn't, it doesn't feel to me like it's been as clear here. Um, and that's obviously all the more important in times of high stress, like at the moment, because um, stress impacts people's ability to take on new information as well mm -hmm. and be able to cope with change. Um, so, yeah, so that's been, that's sort of an interesting point. Um, but also, um, I think I've, I've spoken to you previously about Elizabeth Kubler-Ross's stages of grief, and that also applies to change management. Mm. Um, and it sort of highlights why people might be resisting the change, because when people make changes in their work or their personal lives, uh, they can go through the same stages of um, shock and anger, denial, uh, depression and acceptance and that's certainly relevant now as well um, and I think it's safe to say that most people are feeling that all of those emotions um, around the uncertainty of how everything is going to play out at the moment um, and thinking about change management from this perspective can help um, explain and understand why people are reacting in the way that they are um, and it's also helps with dealing with resistance to change as well um, obviously sort of being able to listen with empathy so that you can remind people why things need to change from their point of view and to discuss how that can happen is really important. Uh, and just understanding that everybody deals with change in different ways is just really, really important because something that obviously isn't a big deal to you might be a really big deal to somebody else. Um, and this can help you, um, this sort of uh, model can help understand that from other people's point of view. That also um, leads nicely into um, David Rock, who's a neuroscientist. He um, has a model of um, threat and reward called SCARF, which, um, which also helps you understand how people are reacting to change. So SCARF stands for uh, status, certainty, autonomy, relatedness and fairness. And his idea was that when any one of those is um, reduced or taken away, our brain activates a threat response. Um, and when one of those is increased, then uh, we're actually, our brain activates a reward response. So all of, but all of those things at the moment are threatened in lots of people right now. So um, that model can help to understand the way that people are, are feeling about the changes that we're all having to make. And, and it helps also build empathy, like I said before, towards people that are experiencing a different response to yourself. Interesting. So I heard you say right at the beginning of that um, exploration around applying this model to the current situation that it was super important that our governments at whatever level are clear in their messaging and the yeah. clarity of message is, is critical. Um, and then the understanding that people are going to go, be at different stages of a cycle of acceptance um, as to this change. And, and so to be uh, aware of their own, I suppose, trigger responses to certain situations. Can you speak to that from your own experience, not from your personal experience, but experience at, at work where um, certain people take longer to accept change cycles um, because of their own experience of, um, well, their own potential triggers? Yeah, sure. Um, so... The other important point about that, the um, the stages is that you don't, it's not a linear scale. Mm. You can move back and forth at any point in mm. time, depending on anything else that's happening. Um, but certainly from a work point of view, um, 
uh, with um, when people have had previous experiences. So for example, um, like if a new system's being implemented and there's already been sort of a failed attempt and people are feeling really down about it and then they decide, yes, we're going to do this all over again a, a year later or something. If you're then dealing with those same people again that have already had a fairly average um, experience previously, um, that can certainly um, impact their impressions of, of how the, this is going to go the second time round, even if it's with completely different people and, and uh, you know, a whole new framework and everything. But if the, if the um, impacted people have had a previously average experience or bad mm. experience with something, um, mm. they're quite likely to feel quite resistant and, um, you know, possibly angry um, and probably a bit down in the dumps about, about having to go through or potentially having to go mm. through the change again and maybe it not work again or maybe, you know, um, they, they sort of that definitely would have an impact on, on people, yes. Mm, absolutely. So I'm, I'm sensing that trust in the system is really important. So if we can extrapolate it to this current situation, I mean, Fortunately, most of us haven't been in this situation before, although some, of course, who have traumatic experiences in their past from other countries may well have been. Um, but for the majority of us experiencing this, this um, pandemic, it is the first time. And, and so I guess we're, we're placing our trust in, in organisations, in the government and all the way down to make the right decisions and to, to make the right calls. And um, it's, it's challenging if we don't, um, if we start to lose trust. In, in those um, organisations and, and infrastructures, um, because clearly trust is, is a critical part of buying into the, the, the um, uh, cycle of change. Yeah, definitely. And that also comes down to the communication and having clear mm. messaging, because if you're sort of changing your mind all the time or, mm. or not, or people can't see why you're making the decisions that you're communicating, that also mm. has an impact on trust as well. Absolutely. Can you talk a bit more about the David Rock uh, structure? I haven't I'm not familiar with that, and I'd love to hear a little bit about each of the the elements of the acronym, if if you can. Yeah, sure. So um, the first one S is uh, status. So it's it's um, how we perceive where we stand in our roles in society. So um, in relation to right now, there's a lot of people that are obviously uh, are threatened in that in that way, um, and that can be just general roles in society or role, roles in workplaces mm -hmm. or or anywhere. Um, certainty is um, <laughs> obviously not there for anyone at the moment because um, we we all like to know what will happen next. So having that um, the yeah just understanding of what what to expect really, which which I think it's safe to say pretty much no one knows at the moment. Mm. Um, autonomy, which is the opportunity to make choices and having a form of control um, over your life, which obviously then decreases stress as well. So. Um, that's also something that a lot of us either don't definitely don't have as much of as we are used to having. Mm -hmm. um, relatedness, um, that's more around the, the need to feel safe in our groups and social connection, which is also threatened at the moment. Um, and fairness, which is a bit more self-explanatory. So, but uh, even the perception of unfairness can cause negativity about a change. Um, and I guess there's lots of reasons to feel like what's going on at the moment is unfair as well. So really um, every aspect of this model is, is in threat at the moment, which is probably more unusual for, for a, you know, a work-related change. Um, this is obviously a very unusual situation that we're all in at the moment. Um, but, yeah, so it's obviously far more extreme than your average change. 
So using the SCARF model in, in an organisational change um, situation, I'm guessing that you would seek to stabilise um, the elements of uncertainty. So provide more certainty, in, ensure that people's status within the organisation is solid or um, unchanging to a certain extent, increase people's capacity to make choices where, where they can, um, increase their connection to each other and manage the fairness perception. Is that right? Um, yes, but it's not always possible. I mean, if no. you're looking at redundancies, for example, you can't tell people that they're safe in their status if they're not, as, as one example. Um, and we don't always know what's going to happen next in a work environment either. Um, so, but, but being able to communicate why everything's happening and just mm. having um, the understanding of why people are feeling how they're feeling. Can all, that, so this model can help you mm. understand how people are feeling to then be able to, to help them through it. And you can't always remove all mm. of the, you know, remove all the barriers and all no. of the, the reasons that they will be feeling threatened. Um, but it's it's more around the empathy and the understanding of how why they're feeling how they're feeling, um, and and communicating well enough and giving them the chance to give feedback and everything so that you can deal with as much that that you can deal with. <laughs> Absolutely. So there's a I mean you mentioned empathy um, at the beginning of the interview and that clearly clearly is a. Uh, something that that not everybody has ex experiences practicing maybe in in certain elements of, of their certainly their work life and other other professions where empathy is right up there um, how would you encourage people to be more empathetic and understanding at this time um, I guess using using models like the ones that I've spoken about helps you can to understand how other people are feeling or why they mm. might be feeling differently to to you or to anyone else um, but yeah, it's it it can be challenging, I guess. Um, if you if you feel fine with something, to understand why someone else doesn't. But um, yeah, talking to people and and um, really deeply listening rather than rather than mm. just forming your own views and um, sort of mm. listening with a with an open mind um, definitely helps. That's terrific. I, I, yeah, and certainly something we have to keep reminding ourselves, certainly when we're feeling under threat and for all the reasons that we know, to, that, that ultimately the connections that we have with each other are going to be the ones that will sustain us in this situation that is completely unknown and unpredictable. And so to deepen those bonds and to listen as, as deeply as we can is a, is a really good investment in time. Um, I guess a final um, question to you is how you might use uh, or how you do use these these principles and practices that you have from your professional life in your in your own life and certainly in your own life right now um, is there something that you'd like to to share with us around how you what you'd suggest other people do practically in their daily life right now um I can't to be honest I can't say I intentionally apply the principles in my own life but I think um it probably comes naturally um to some extent as well in my own life but I I must say just like the all the um all of the sort of being kind to people and the the lovely things that are coming out of social media at the moment around the the kindness pandemic and viral kindness and um, all of the the clapping even for the um, for the National Health Service in England and the things that um, make other people feel feel better um, that's that's really the um, <laughs> the best thing I think you can do in this situation. Well, that speaks to culture change in the broadest sense, doesn't it? Which is 
um, an acknowledgement yeah. of the important work that people that give of, of, of their lives so um, in so many ways so selflessly certainly at this time people working frontline medical situations teachers um, re completely rechanging the way that they work and so many yeah. other people on the front line um, keeping keeping society together right now and that's culture change at its most um, fundamental is there something yeah that you, the pace of what, change at the moment yeah, the pace of change, absolutely. What would you hope incredible. that comes out of this? What, what is your hope for this time that, that would be a favourable outcome given all the tremendous losses that will occur? What's, what's a hope that you have? Um, I guess I hope that the, the kindness and the connection with people, even though it's a strange connection online, <laughs> um, but, you know, the people looking out for their neighbours and, and, you know, elderly and vulnerable people in, the, in society um, and just generally being more grateful for, for what we do have as well um, and slowing down a bit, I guess, too, because we all rush around at, at um, great pace usually and it's... Um, perhaps a nice lesson to just yeah be grateful for what we do have well thank you so much that's really interesting for us to explore those those two different um, models uh, of practice that you've you've um, outlined you use in your daily work life and how they might be applied now to this situation of, of unprecedented rapid change and a, and a um, call to action from you at the end uh, around be a gratitude and slowing down but also increasing our kindness and connection with each other so thank you lauren for being with us it's been wonderful to talk with you thank you very much